0: Reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 on page 858. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Gracious Lord, we want to thank you so much for um, for giving us uh, your word that we can Uh, Think about it in fellowship and in unity with one another this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes that word and opens our minds and uh, transforms our hearts. Uh, We pray that as a result of uh, what we do in the next half hour here and in the Sunday school, in the kids' church, that uh, it would result in uh, a change of our lives and greater glory to you. And we ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our passage today has a bit to say about relationships. And my guess is that it's still true to say that we live in a society which ultimately does place a great value on the idea of Uh, the committed relationship uh, between two people who love one another. Uh, The nature of those relationships uh, these days in 2017 is broader uh, than what it was in uh, earlier years, what it used to be. And in Western societies, uh, things have changed quite significantly and quite rapidly. I guess uh, since the end of the Second World War and then the uh, baby boom generation and the sexual revolution in the 1960s and, and other factors, that because of these things, that the idea of relationships being lifelong and exclusive has been significantly eroded. But nevertheless, I think it's still true to say that uh, uh, if people really think about it, uh, that if we were to uh, survey people and to ask them what kind of relationship that they most admire, then my guess is that there'd be a lot of people who, in their heart of hearts would say it is still the idea of two people who love one another and grow old together. Uh, There's something about that, isn't there? And I think that that's still the hope of many people. I wonder about yourself, though. I mean, uh, what would you say is is the most valuable relationship that a person can have? Now, I love my wife very dearly. You'll be pleased to know that. But as Christians, we know that there is actually another relationship. There there is one relationship which which transcends all other relationships. And that, of course, is our relationship with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, People, I know, um, older people sometimes say to me that uh, they're really looking forward to to going to heaven uh, so that they can be with their... Their wife, or be with their husband who has uh, predeceased them. And that's understandable in one sense, isn't it? Of course, it's understandable because we are relational beings. But in heaven, there is no such thing as marriage uh, because our satisfaction, our relational desires are fulfilled in that uh, most profound relationship of all, and that is our relationship with our Creator who we live with forever in heaven. However, that relationship with God uh, transcends all other relationships, but because of that, it actually transforms all other relationships as well. It greatly shapes the relationships which we have in this life. And we've already seen that, haven't we? If you were with us last week when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, Uh, we saw that how our relationship with God uh, transforms our relationships within society and we looked in particular in terms of our relationship with uh, governing authorities, with with the government and also we looked at the relationship uh, that we have with people at work uh, in our employment situation. Those relationships are transcended by our relationship with God, and they are transformed by that relationship. The most rela- the most intimate relationship which we have, though, is the relationship of marriage. Now, I feel very inadequate um, preaching this sermon today, and the reason, of course, is that uh, marriage it's it's really a topic which which could Feel an entire series of sermons, quite obviously. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, Peter touches on just two key areas in which our uh, transcendent relationship with God transforms the relationship of marriage. Two key areas. If you want to have that open in your Bibles, and there's an outline for you, of course, in your service sheets. One area for husbands and the other area for wives. We're going to first of all look at what Peter says to wives in verses 1 to 6. Because uh, in those verses, Peter addresses an issue which faces uh, uh, Christian wives throughout the the ages and faces Christian wives uh, today, even in our own context. And that is, how should a Christian woman behave, how should she live, when her husband is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I remember a dear older Christian woman spoke to me once and she said to me, Scott, the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was when I married a non-Christian man. Uh, She said, he's a wonderful man and he's a good husband and he's a good provider, but in the relationship which is most important to me, my relationship with God, we have no common unity. We have no commonality. He does not share in that relationship. And that had many implications for her, in both in terms of her own spiritual life through the decades and uh, for the life of her children as well. Now, sometimes uh, a Christian woman may be married to a non-Christian man because she has actually chosen to go and marry a man who's not a Christian. Uh, Or it may be that uh, they were both non-Christians when they were married and she has uh, come to know Christ, but he hasn't. Uh, And in the case of the first century women to whom Peter addresses his remarks here, it may also be because of arranged marriages. That is, that the woman actually uh, had no choice uh, in the matter. And, of course, the issue of a Christian married to a non-Christian, it also obviously happens in reverse, where a Christian man is married to a non-Christian woman. But it does appear here in 1 Peter that uh, the the congregations to whom this letter is written, uh, in those congregations the issue is far more prevalent for the women. So the question then is, how should these Christian sisters honour God in their marriages. Let's have a look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, Wives, says Peter, in the same way be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now the idea of a woman um, submitting to her husband... Uh, is difficult for 20th, 21st century years to hear and to listen to. And for us, uh, it, it, uh, it sounds like inequality. And we also read into it the, uh, the image of the self-centred, uh, domineering husband uh, who uh, just expects to be served by his wife, uh, who uh, seem, feels forced to do so. However, that is not the biblical picture of the husband-wife relationship. Uh, Now, obviously, it's a huge topic, uh, which we can only just skate over the surface uh, with today. But the Bible teaches that men and women are clearly equal in God's sight. There's no question about that. Uh, However, there are different roles in the relationship uh, for each of uh, the, the man and the woman. Because for marriages to function as God intended, there is an order in relationships where the husband does have the responsibility to lead his family. Now, of course, uh, in marriage and in family life, most decisions are made uh, either by the wife or by the husband, depending on the nature of the decision and the issues uh, that they're working through. Uh, Many decisions are made by uh, mutual agreement but sometimes there will be times with important issues where there is a difference of opinion but someone has to make the call and that's when the husband must accept responsibility uh, to, to make decisions. But not for his own good, not for his own benefit, not for his own interests but rather he makes decisions for the well-being of his wife and for his family. And of course, he's only able to do that uh, to exercise that responsibility when his wife is willing to accept that a- that actually is a responsibility that God has given to him. So in passages like in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians chapter 3, for example, where the wife is to submit to her husband... The Christian husband, for his part, is to love her in the same way that Christ loved the church, sacrificially, giving up his own interests for her sake and for her benefit. Um, There's a, uh, in uh, church circles, people think about two different ways of understanding the male female husband wife relationship. And uh, uh, for some people, uh, they take what's what they call an egalitarian approach, uh, meaning, uh, in essence, that uh, men and women are both created equal in God's sight and that apart from the obvious physiological differences, that there's no real difference in terms of any God-ordained role. Uh, and so uh, that idea of the husband having the uh, authority uh, doesn't apply. And they would call that the egalitarian approach. I don't like to be called non-egalitarian. I believe in egalitarianism. Uh, But the other view uh, is referred to as complementarianism. And that is that uh, men and women are both created equal in God's sight. Uh, But their differences are not only physiological, Uh, there is a difference in the role uh, between a man and a woman. And uh, it's rooted in uh, the argument from Genesis that Adam is created first and that Eve is to be his helper. Uh, And in that relationship of uh, equality and unity, that there is that diversity in terms that the man actually has uh, the, the final responsibility... Uh, over, that, over his wife and, and his family. And that's called the complementarian view. So that where the two exercising different roles do so in a way that complements and actually uh, helps the relationship to work in the way that God intended. And I think that that's the view that the Scriptures teach and we see it uh, as part of the background to this passage here. Now obviously there is a lot more to be said about this and I realise that it does throw up other issues but it's not actually the key point which Peter is making because Peter is addressing Christian women who are married to non-Christian men and in that context there's also an added element because in first century Greco-Roman culture uh, where these women, these Christian women were living it was also culturally the case that wives were to submit to their husbands, but for different reasons, uh, not godly biblical reasons, uh, but purely for cultural reasons. Uh, they are in a situation where their husbands, we're told, have heard the gospel, but they have disobeyed the word. And that is that it is actually a strong rejection of the gospel on the part of the husbands. However, their wives, their great desire is for their husbands to actually uh, have a relationship with the Creator. Uh, They desire for their husbands to trust in Jesus, to be saved, and to share with them in the relationship uh, which is the best ever relationship, the one which transcends all others. They want their husbands to become Christians. But what would happen if they kept on pressing the issue with the husband? If they even became um, uh, cantankerous uh, about it with him? If they become argumentative about it with him? That would be not only uh, not in in concert with God's ordering of relationship, but it would be offensive in their culture and would add further weight of evidence to the the critics who uh, we saw in chapter 2, verse 12, accused Christians of actually being bad for society. In other words, it would backfire. How then should they win their husbands for Christ? Well, not by their words, but in verse 3, it is by the purity and the reverence of their lives. Purity and reverence. I wonder what that means. Well, Peter actually elaborates on what that means. And the question which uh, really underlies this is what does it mean to be truly attractive? What does it mean to be truly beautiful? We live in a, a culture which seems obsessed with physical beauty, uh, mostly in regards to women and girls. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I know one member of the congregation who remember it very well, and that is a, a few years back. Um, uh, one of us here uh, unintentionally created a, a true media storm when she uh, criticised on social media a retail store, a retail store chain, for its sexualisation of young girls by the range of clothing which they sell, or rather which they don't sell, for little girls. Do you remember that? It was a true media storm. Uh, Media picked up on it television news and current affair and newspapers. Jillian didn't know what, what hit her. <laughs> Did you, Jill? Um, it was Anna. Anna. Anna didn't know what hit her. <laughs> Jill didn't know what was about hit her just then. <laughs> it was Anna. Yeah. And um, you see, can't find clothes on the shelves for little girls, which are actually modest clothes. We're training them for adult life, aren't we? Where women are encouraged to see their value as persons uh, resting in how attractive they look towards men. And men are only too pleased to value and uh, shamefully to rate women accordingly. There's a great proverb, it's Proverbs 31, which says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's a great verse. And uh, we see something of that in verse 3 here. Have a look at that, Where, um, uh, where it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes." Now, I don't think that this is saying that Christian women should never go to the hairdresser and put Catherine out of business, uh, or uh, that they shouldn't um, wear a necklace around their neck, or uh, shouldn't um, get dressed up. Uh, I don't think that this is a proof text for Christian men or women who just want to be sloppy. I don't think it's saying that. Um, When I go out with Cassie, I like to dress up nicely. Sometimes, just very rarely, I even wear a suit. And I do that. That's called serving my wife, in that sense. That's called serving her. Uh, in fact, um, and guys, sometimes we need to lift our game in that area, don't we? I mean, I I recall when we were in our 20s, I think it was just after we got married, that uh, I um, I went to my wardrobe one day, I opened it up, and all my clothes were gone. Now, Cassie denies this. <laughs> her and her sister had gotten into my wardrobe. You know those, like, you know, the T-shirt that you've been wearing for 10 years? you the jeans with all the holes in it, you really love Gone! Gone! Replaced with all this new stuff. <laughs> and that was a blessing. I'm actually glad she did that because I lift, needed to lift my game. Uh, but um, and, and Cassie dresses nicely for me as well, especially when we go up. Uh, go out. <laughs> go up. <laughs> up in the world. But the point is that that is not where her true beauty rests. That kind of beauty is only skin deep. And you know what they say? Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes right to the bone. Right to the bone. And, and you see that sometimes, don't you? Uh, uh, when you, you see celebrities on television. Uh, I remember seeing a, uh, an actress on TV. and out, out, She was being interviewed. And outwardly, uh, she was stunning, absolutely stunning, but as soon as she opened her mouth and I heard her foul language and the values that she... Well, any sense of beauty was just evaporated, just gone. Rather, in respect to beauty, in verse 4, Peter says this. He says, Instead, it should be, should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but outward beauty, it tends to fade away. Uh, The longer you live, the more of it you lose. But inner beauty is the opposite. Inner beauty, uh, which comes from having a relationship with the Lord... Inner beauty is something which as we grow older, as we mature, it grows, it deepens, it strengthens so that the longer you live, the more beautiful you become. Recently I I visited June when she was in the nursing home and outwardly she was wrinkled, She was drawn, she was thin, she was there was wasting away, there was outwardly, there was nothing attractive about her, but inwardly a more beautiful person you would have difficulty finding. A more beautiful person you would find hard to find. And a gentle and quiet spirit, well, I suggest that this doesn't mean squashing the natural personality of the friendly, outgoing, gregarious and engaging woman of God, but it's very different from the argumentative, disputive, cantankerous wife whose behaviour is actually not likely to win her non-Christian over to that uh, non-Christian husband over to that most important relationship of all. And in verses 5 and 6, Peter roots this not in Greco-Roman culture, but rather in the example of the Old Testament women of God, Uh, so that these Gentile women, to whom he's writing, are in fact true daughters of Abraham's wife, Sarah, as they practice this God-given femininity in their marriage relationships. So that's the wives. What about then the husbands? Have a look at verse 4. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now this is uh, addressed to Christian husbands who are married to Christian wives. Notice what the goal uh, for the husband is. Uh, it's right at the end of that verse here and it sort of at first it seems a little bit out of place but uh, the, the goal is so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Did you notice that? Why would Peter say that? Well guess what? What's inherent in this is that he's saying that the most important relationship of the man is not with his wife, but rather with his God. And therefore, he is to be a man of prayer. But if he treats his wife poorly, why would God even listen to his prayers? There's a Bible verse that says, If I harboured sin in my heart, the Lord would not... Listen to my prayers. If he treats his wife poorly, why would she want to pray with him, except perhaps out of some sense of duty and obligation? If he treats his wife poorly, then there's a deeper question, that is, would he even be a man of prayer? The way we treat our wives feeds into and to some extent reflects our relationship with the Lord. And so here when Peter says to Christian husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives, it means literally to live with your wives in knowledge, in understanding. That is, men know your wives understand your wives i think myself sometimes that's a pretty hard task to understand my well peter peter actually gives us two areas two areas where men need to know their wives two things we need to know and firstly that they are the weaker partner physically most of the time husbands are physically stronger than their wives. That's a fact. There are, of course, exceptions of the stronger woman who's married to the less strong husband. But generally, this is the reality, that men are stronger than their wives, that wives are weaker than their husbands. And there are times in life when a woman's body is especially weak. Um, before and after pregnancy, for example. There are times on a more regular basis when her body is weak. Husbands must understand that. And far from that becoming a reason for abuse, for exercising that physical strength in a wrongful manner, as some men are prone to do, and far from placing unloving expectations on her to do things which she's physically less able to do. Instead, instead, says Peter, her weakness is to be a reason for respect, for honouring her, for loving her in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Because the second thing to know is this, and that is that she is, and I quote, an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. How about that, married men? Your wife uh, is not only your wife, she's also your sister in Christ. And in so much as you exercise leadership or authority in marriage, it should be to that end, that she is cared for, that she is nourished, that she is encouraged, that she is built up in her relationship, in that relationship which supersedes her relationship with yourself, that she is actually strengthened in her relationship with God. I have never met a woman, I have never met a Christian woman, who has complained to me that her husband cares too much for her relationship with God. I've never met a Christian woman who has complained to me that her husband is taking too much spiritual leadership in the relationship and in the family. I've met far too many who said they would give their right arm to have a husband who would. Mm -hmm. So men, be the one who initiates prayer. Pray with her. Pray for her. Love her. Respect her. And treasure her unfading beauty, which is so precious, in the sight of God. There's a lot more that can be said, but I think we'll wrap it up. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the gift of marriage. We thank you for the order of relationships which you have established. We thank you, Father God, for the unity and the diversity that that relationship brings. We pray for any women in our congregation, Lord, who are married to to non-Christian men and are struggling in that regard. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, uh, by your word and spirit, give them the encouragement to seek to live godly and holy lives in that context, that their husbands may be won over by the purity of their lives. Father, we pray for husbands in our congregation. Father, we uh, pray that we would not look to uh, outward adornment as the basis of true beauty in a woman. Father, we pray that we would see and perceive the unfading beauty uh, that uh, you have given to our wives. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us to put their interests above our own to love, to respect, to honour, to cherish them. Father, that they as sisters in Christ may uh, uh, be presented to you as perfect in Christ, trusting in his death and resurrection and having been encouraged by their husbands throughout their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.